0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 391 of the Battery Power Podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland. It's actually Saturday evening, March the 18th, one day earlier than our normal time slot, and I am joined, as mostly always, by Scott Coleman. Hello, sir. How are you?
1: What is going on, Brad? Saturday night in March, nowhere I would rather be than talking some baseball and maybe a few other things with you um, yeah, it's it's a good time, man. Sports are in full swing. Got basketball, baseball is right on the horizon. I've been loving the World Baseball Classic, which is going on right now as we record as well. It, it's been a fun couple of weeks, and really, as of recording this, we're now I think ten or eleven days away from Opening Day.
0: Yeah, we're almost there. And uh, you know, I I think I teased this earlier in the month, but I'm I'm kind of all over the place the next few weeks covering college basketball and all kinds of things. So that's why we're recording early on Saturday evening. But uh here we are, and hopefully nothing drastic will happen on Sunday. And if you if it does, then we'll have more podcast content in the near future after that. You said it, but you know, the Braves are less than two weeks away from opening day. They of course have to open on the road this time around. But and also you made an appearance a few days ago on the podcast to be named later. Uh that was mostly focused on the pitching side, which today's podcast main topic is gonna to be about the position players and kind of previewing the lineup, but uh, if people missed that conversation, I encourage them to listen to it. But also, we should just say at the top of the show today, the, the competition kind of focused on the fifth starter spot with you and Steven Tolbert. And uh, in the last two days, Jared Schuster and Dylan Dodd both pitched and pitched well. And they both seem to be uh, battling for that fifth starter job. In particular, I thought Schuster was disgusting on Friday. So uh, what do you make of all that? I know you kind of gave the longer explanation a few days ago, but a short version, like, where are you on the pitching staff right now?
1: You know, you and I did the the pitching preview last weekend, and you know, in terms of the starting rotation, and while I don't think either of us felt great about Ian Anderson or Bryce Elder, you know, we kind of just figured because of their histories that whoever I guess was better between the two would open the year as the fifth starter, and the Braves were just going to kind of close their eyes and hope that one of them figured it out, and clearly that's not the way they are leaning. Uh, I guess, technically speaking, just because Anderson and Elder now are in the minors, it it doesn't exclude them. I guess from being on the opening day roster or being the fifth starter early in the year, but it does seem like they're going with Schuster or Dodd. Uh, you know, both guys have have done everything right this spring. Of course, both of them are lefties, which is nice to help balance the rotation a little bit. Uh, you know, and, and Schuster was someone who has just kind of been on the periphery the last couple of years. Maybe not a super flashy or sexy prospect as he has made his way up, but clearly he has figured some things out. His velocity is up this spring, which is really encouraging, has some pretty good breaking stuff. And then Dodd is someone who our our prospects really like. I think they probably like him more than maybe the national reporters and folks who cover the minors do so it, it's been a fascinating battle. I think if I had to bet today, it would be Schuster making that first start. I believe that's going to come in St. Louis,, uh, which is not necessarily an easy place to make your major league debut, but to you know, to the credit of both guys, they've done everything right. And it really has made for a fun battle. And hey, like we said, we the Braves really just need someone to step up from this group of four, maybe even group of five, if Colby Allard can get healthy. They needed someone to step up, and if one of these guys want the job and to lock it in and, and run away with it for the rest of the year, then all the better.
0: Yeah, that's a good way of of putting it. And, you know, Colorado's going to pitch uh, for the first time in spring on Monday. That'll be good to see because, you know, there is still a chance – Kyle Wright's not ready because he's not pitched yet in the Great Fruit League action. So I think everybody's banking on him being ready for the season to start. But if he's not, then you might see both of Schuster and Don in the early going. But I agree with you. I was lean Schuster, based on the available knowledge that we have at this point in time. Also, a positive update is that Michael Soroka threw two innings of live BP on Friday and appears to be getting pretty close to debuting in the spring as well. So uh, some pretty encouraging stuff with the pitching staff. And again, I don't want to go crazy, and nobody probably should. I, I think is my kind of resident job on this podcast and other places to be a little bit cautious and just not, um, I know I was kind of making fun of it on Twitter talking about how Jared Schuster was the next Clayton Kershaw the other day, <laughs> but uh, I think it's probable maybe at uh, least possible. Those guys are not going to be quite as good as maybe people, people, are expecting this year. I have to say that contractually, but I do think that they both look very good to this point. And I think the Braves have a good quote unquote problem. As we talked about last week on the show where I think a lot of teams would be happy to have Elder and Anderson and Dodd and Schuster all in the rotation. Um, and the yeah. only choosing basically one of those guys, hopefully. So it's, uh, it's, it's a nice problem to have, even if it's definitely very intriguing at this point.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it would be nice. You know, you mentioned the, I guess, the cautious tale of of not getting too invested in spring training numbers. And to be fair, you know, neither Schuster nor Dodd have really faced an A lineup yet um both guys faced you know the Phillies on on Saturday night Dodd faced a couple of regulars but I think 4 through 9 it was all backups and um you know there were a couple of the regular Red Sox on Friday when Schuster made his start it would be nice I think in this final week as teams tend to play their starters a little bit more for both of them to to face a real lineup or something closer to it I think that's obviously the next step in their progression and, and also just to really challenge them before the regular season starts. And we've said it before, we'll say it again. There is a very good likelihood that the four main, Anderson, Elder, Schuster, and Dodd are all going to make an appearance at, in Atlanta at some point this year. Uh, it's just a matter of when, right? It's a long season, uh, but nonetheless, whoever can win that job at of spring in the fifth spot, the Braves don't necessarily need that pitcher to be Cy Young. They just need him to be steady, to work into games, throw strikes, and anything they can give them is just going to be a real bonus.
0: Yes. And with all that said, Jared Schuster might be Sandy Koufax. You never know. He, he might be. That's all I'll say. He might be.
1: That's the name of the – can that be the name of this podcast, please?
0: Uh, I might have to use that as the, as the <laughs> podcast headline. Probably not today, but at some point I probably will in the future when he pitches well. Okay. That's kind of the news segment on today's show. We're going to spend the majority of our time talking about addition players and how the offense and kind of how that whole list for the whole lineup stacks up this year. Uh, before we get to that, though, a word from
2: our sponsors on the show today. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs
0: Okay, Scott, we're, uh, as we talked about before, less than two weeks away from the start of the season, and that means it is time to discuss the lineup. We did the bullpen, we did the rotation, and now um, as we try to bring everybody together, folks that are just now jumping on board and also refreshing from the offseason. And this is not going to come as a surprise to anyone who's been following the Braves for a while, but this is a team that is absolutely loaded when it comes to position players. And we'll come back to them individually as we go in here, but at the top, you know, the Braves were in the top five or six of Major League Baseball last year, in Fangraphs War, they're projected to be in the top four this year. Fangraphs War, when it comes to position players, there are some question marks along the way, but there are a lot of stars, there's a lot of depth, and this is a team that is, uh, you know, broadly speaking, loaded. And that is obviously a nice place to be starting this podcast and this conversation.
1: You look at especially the top seven in the lineup. I think the Braves can match up with basically anyone in the league. I mean, Houston is really good. If the Yankees get healthy years out of Judge and Stanton and and the rest of their guys, I, they're obviously going to be in the mix as well. And uh, the Dodgers are always right there. The Padres are going to be loaded. But, you know, for my money, this is as good of a lineup as you're going to find. And sure, there are a couple of questions and we're going to dig into those here in a minute. But overall, this is one of the best lineups and the best rosters as a whole in the sport.
0: It really is. And I think it should surprise no one. If the Braves are literally the best lap in baseball this year, I'm not going to flat out say that's going to happen or is like likely to happen, but I think conservatively a top five projection makes a lot of sense. And the upside of this group is absolutely sky high. Uh, I was not planning on starting with shortstop. Cause we talked about shortstop a lot over the winter for obvious reasons, but Dan's be leaving with Vaughn Grissom as kind of the incumbent projected guy, Orlando Garcia, et cetera. But, uh, It's kind of come back to the forefront in the last few days. That's kind of unsurprising in that it is the most uncertain position outside of maybe left field. So that kind of adds to the intrigue and talking points and all of that stuff. But there's been a real development in the last few days that we have to start with. So let's go to shortstop right now. I'm going to read a quote to you that Brian Snicker gave today on Saturday, March 18th. He said the following quote, we're going to take one of the two, meaning Von Grissom or Braden Shoemake. More than likely, we'll see who we leave with in a couple of weeks. End quote. So for some backstory, Grissom has been the guy the entire spring. We've kind of thought he was going to be the starter pretty clearly. Um, you know, coming into the spring, there was some more questions about that, but he had been playing mostly every day and playing fairly well, at least on offense, et cetera. But he hadn't played shortstop the last four days as we record this. And Sicker did say plainly that R.C. is going to be on the team in some respect, probably in a utility role, of course. but. um, also, as of tonight, as of Saturday night, Mark Bowman, friend of the podcast, MLB.com, did a recent roster projection for the Braves, as he does a few times during the spring. And uh, Scott, he flat out projected Braden Shoemake as the starting shortstop. I was surprised to see that. So uh after all that, uh I've said a lot of things. Where are you at on this? Because this it seems like the shoemake train has kind of left the station at this point. It's gotten the hype is uh all over the place. And I am frankly um Maybe stun is too strong of a word, but I am very surprised about where we are right now on March 18th.
1: Yeah, it's wild. And maybe the last 72 hours, we've gone from like 0 to 100 on this discussion. I mean, it felt like from the outside that Vaughn had done everything needed. He went into spring as the favorite. He has hit pretty well. He maybe hasn't been Ozzy Smith defensively, but he has only made one error, I believe, and has been pretty steady at shortstop, which is obviously a, a big component of this roster battle. Um, it, it just seemed like in the back of my mind, up until maybe Wednesday, that Von Grissom was going to be, be the Braves' opening day shortstop. And then, you know, a couple of days ago, Mark Bowman mentioned that Braden Shoemake had really come along in camp. He was the most improved player in the organization, and for background, Shoemaker is a former first-round pick from 2019, but he's never really hit. He's 25 years old now. He's been in double and triple A the last two years, and was below average in terms of of hitting in the minors. And that makes you think, well, what's this guy going to be able to do in the major leagues if he can't even hit minor league pitching very well? And even if he has improved a little bit. He was just someone who was on nobody's radar for this starting job, even even as of a week ago. And now there's, there's from Mark Bowman and David O'Brien who have been covering the team for 20 years now. I really don't know what to make of it. It could be just kind of the, the organization really trying to give Von Grissom a kick in the pants, if you will, trying to get him to ramp up whatever he is doing to, to take the job. But I think clearly the team must feel that while Grissom's bat is more advanced than Shoemake's, Shoemake's glove is better than Grissom's. And maybe, I I don't know if I necessarily buy all of this just yet, but maybe they feel that Shoemake's glove is going to be more valuable than Grissom's bat.
0: Yeah, that seems like the most... Likely explanation now, if we take everything at face value, which we kind of have to, we're not in Florida, you and I. And, um, I'm pretty decent at like reading between the lines with media stuff and making some calls. It does seem like this is kind of legitimate at this point in time. It's not just one guy, you know. Early on, it felt like Bowman was the lowest on one grissom of all the media guys. Obviously, that's a little bit of just projection on my part, but once you know, it started building this week and now DOB's talking about it as well, like it's not like buried in here, like he's definitely part of the discussion. And then, sticker gave that quote today that made it seem really like it was part of the discussion. So what you said about Shoemaker is perfect, I think, in that, you know, obviously a real pedigree. First-round pick, um, you know, this is an organization that doesn't have the greatest uh, system right now, at least in terms of national minor league projections. But the big thing is, like like you said, he's not hit the last two years, or really at all, in the minors. Um, college-wise, he, he hit very well. But last two seasons in the minors, he has a OPS around 700 combined. Now, that is not good in the minor leagues, especially for a top-tier prospect first-round pick. Last year in Gwinnett, he slugged 399, had a 715 OPS two years ago in Mississippi, in a small sample size, a 672 OPS. So, like, it's fair to say that as a professional, he's only really hit one at one level. He hit pretty well in Rome in 2019 in in 51 games. Like, I, I tend to trust the samples at Mississippi and Gwinnett a little bit more. Now, I did ask around, and you, neither you and I are prospect experts, but Shoemaker is a guy who people seem to think might have a little bit more in the bat than the modelling numbers. And I'm not just saying that. I think people that I trust to like not have rose-colored glasses are saying that. Some of the batted ball profile stuff is probably a little bit better than you might think. But it does seem like, from the outside, this might just be the Braves not trusting Vaughn Grissom's glove because I think it would be crazy to believe, based on – their ages, and their talent levels and all that, that, that Shoemake is going to hit like Grissom at this point. Is that impossible? No. But projection-wise, like, I don't know about you, it feels insane to me that they would possibly believe those guys are even close as hitters at this point. So it has to be about the glove if they were to go Shoemake. We don't know they're, if they're going to do that or not. But Arcia, it seems like it's still going to be in the same role, that utility, plug-and-play, depth role, which is probably where he should be. But, yeah, is it – too simple to say glove versus bat. I mean, maybe, but maybe this team just looks at this roster and says, all right, we have enough bats. Let's not lose games at shortstop on defense. And that, that's probably not a, an approach that I love, but at least it's kind of understandable. I don't know.
1: Yeah, no, it's, I mean, it's valid. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't crush the Braves, right? Like obviously their front office knows more than I do. I don't, I'm not afraid to admit it. Right. They, they probably know a few more things than, than little old me, but um, you're right. I mean, they must feel, if it is Braden shoemaker, they must feel with a high level of confidence that he has more in the bat than what he has shown, as the folks you talked to yeah. uh, suggested and hinted at. Now, and again, I don't want to be a broken record here, but if the Braves are going to have this really, really good top seven of the lineup, and maybe even top eight if Eddie Rosario is back, and we're going to talk about left field in a little while but let's just say hypothetically that Eddie Rosario is back to his career norms, and then we know the names that are going to fill out the top and the middle parts of this lineup. You know, maybe they do prefer the defense first. And you know, talking both short and long term, it's easy to forget, even though he was impressive when he immediately came up last year, you know, Von Grissom is 22 years old. He He's still a young kid. He only had a handful of, what of, uh, was he, in the minor leagues for, uh, or in the minor leagues, in, in A for two months before he was called up, maybe three months before he was called up. You know, he could really benefit, I think, from some more time in Gwinnett, and maybe the Braves feel that one day Von Grissom is going to be the better option at shortstop, whether that is in two weeks from now or in two years from now. But there is something to be said for giving him regular at-bats in Gwinnett uh, if if they feel that shoemaker can handle the starting shortstop job right out of the gate.
0: Yeah, it really is such a weird place to be. I know I'm repeating myself about like not being prepared to talk about Braden Shoemake as the starting shortstop of the Braves on March 18th. But, you know, I, I think it's fair to say that at least for me, I was probably a little bit lower on Grissom projection wise for right now today than some of the fans were coming out of last year, in part because... The glove is a huge question, and people that I talked to didn't love the glove. And also, the bat, while I do trust it eventually, um, he was not great at the end of his tenure last year, which is not out of the ordinary. Like, he was never going to sustain what he did when he first came up, and that's fine. But, like you said, he is 22 years old. I still think he might be best suited playing, like, left field long term. Um, that's kind of – again, I'm not an expert on this, but based on what I, people that I trust, like, there is still – skepticism about his glove at shortstop long term and because there's not really anywhere else to put him like third base at least at the moment um is occupied second base at least at the moment is occupied uh which means maybe the left field spot might be interesting for him but long story short they're not going to rewrite and move him there now so um you know if it's up to me i'm not the expert on this i would probably just you know go with grissom and hope beyond hope that he plays enough defense and then maybe go to rc if you need to because i just don't know about about makes bat but We'll find out soon. There's still two weeks left. Sicker didn't, like, reveal his hand. Maybe there's a little bit of gamesmanship here. Maybe they're trying to motivate Grissom. I don't know what's going on. But I guess it's uh, – at the end of the day, they're pretty um, – it shouldn't be surprising anymore somehow if Shoemaker is the guy. I mean, Bowman projecting him as the starter on March 18th. I don't want to make too much of that, but it, it really did, like, almost put it even further into Stark relief for me that this is, like, a thing now. We're here. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and you're right. A month ago, I would have told you it was going to be Von Grissom, and if he had a bad spring, that Shoemaker wouldn't even be in the conversation.
0: Yeah, with well, Arcia,
1: <laughs> exactly. And clearly, the Braves like Arcia. I mean, they gave him a two year deal uh, last winter, and they made I mean, they traded for him. So clearly, the front office thinks higher of Arcia than maybe your you know your common person does but you know for shoemaker this would be a real surprise we will see i mean I, there's still about i think 8 or 9 games left in the spring it will be very interesting to me uh, you know we're recording this on saturday night who's playing shortstop on sunday who's playing shortstop on monday because pretty soon here you know the spring training camp is at i think 42 uh, they're going to really have to trim it down over this next week and Generally, historically speaking, the Braves have played pretty close to their regular opening day lineup that final weekend of the spring, but we're not that far off from getting a pretty good idea, I think, of who's going to be that shortstop. And then again, regardless of if it's Shoemaker or Grissom, uh, we know it's not a job that is locked in stone. Maybe it's Grissom. If he's just not there defensively, they can make a change. Maybe it's Shoemaker, And after two weeks, he's hitting you know, 043. And it's like, man, we just can't do this. Maybe it's Orlando RC at time. Maybe they they swap out with Grissom or Shoemaker, whoever isn't getting the job out of at a camp. But it is a fascinating decision and, and really an important one. Like this isn't who's going to hide out in left field and hope they catch the ball and, you know, hit an occasional home run. You know, if there's a thing that can derail a team. It is a bad shortstop position. It is such a valuable spot on the infield. You are going to need steadiness, and if the Braves feel that Shoemake is more steady or safer than Grissom, um, it, it was definitely a surprise to me over the last couple of days, but I guess it's it's maybe not the craziest thing in the world.
0: Yeah, and just to, so we don't misrepresent Mark Bowman, he did write in his projection that it's still like a coin flip, and he's leaning towards his, his gut after Grissom didn't play short up the last four days, and that is a little bit weird for a guy that they're baking on that seems to be healthy. They've been asked if he's Healthy And he's, he, they've said yes for him not to play shortstop four days in a row. He did DH today, but uh, that's a question as well. And we're certainly admitting that we are in the dark on this. It's still um, early enough where things can change, like Scott just said. But that's all we got for now. Shortstop will be interesting. I think that that is the spot where everyone will be locked in on no matter what happens. If it's Shoemaker, everyone's going to watch how he hits early on. If it's Grissom, everyone's going to watch closely how he feels early on. And uh, we'll have more on that as the season kind of starts to unfold in the next you know week plus. And then obviously once, once the opening day actually arrives, uh, we'll move on now to the positions that are less uh, controversial and probably go a little bit faster on these because there's not a ton of flexibility. We'll go to catcher because uh, I've said this, and I want to know what you think before we even dive, in, dive into these guys. I firmly believe that if you gave me a choice of every single team in the major leagues and said you can have their catcher situation for this year, the Braves would be number one on my list. And I'm not even sure it's particularly close. And that doesn't mean that Sean Murphy is the best catcher in baseball, but they have two really, really good guys. So I would take the Braves. Would you agree with me?
1: Yeah. Because you're talking about two instead of just one. Yeah. right. Like JT Ramuto, you know, pound for pound for me anyway, is maybe a top 15 player in the sport, but he's one person. Whereas the Braves have both Murphy and Darno in case, heaven forbid one of them gets hurt, they're not completely scrambling. And that's not the case for other situations around the league.
0: Well, also a catcher, not to sort of drive this point home. Guys don't play every single day. Real Muto plays a ton for a catcher, but you're still filling, what, 40 games a year without him? Like that kind of thing. Like you can't play. Now it's easier now with with the DH. You can at least have some value there. But, uh, you know, it's either if you want to take Real Muto, I won't blame you, but it's certainly the Braves are right there next to them. And, Murphy is a guy we talked about a lot over the winter because he just got acquired and then extended, but uh, he's awesome. Uh, I think the bat is not necessarily like superstar level, but for a catcher, it's quite good. And with the glove, he's fantastic. He was a five-win player last year. He's projected to be a five-win-ish player again. Uh, I don't have a lot to add on Sean Murphy, a guy we've been talking about for basically four or five months now, but uh, he's an absolutely awesome top five catcher in the league level player in the last few years.
1: Yeah, he is. And I'm really looking to forward to seeing him play. Just two note, two notes on Murphy. He is going to have a million opportunities to drive in runs this year. If you project him to bat maybe fifth in this order, I mean he's going to be hitting behind Ron Decunha Jr., Michael Harris, Matt Olson, and Austin Riley. He's going to have guys on base so many so many times during the year. And then defensively, I think where Murphy is really going to shine is he has one of the best arms of any catcher, maybe the best arm of every catcher in the league right now. And we have seen in spring training, st- stolen base attempts are going up, right? With the new rules, the the limited number of pickoffs, the bigger bases. It's just, I think it's a certainty that we are going to see teams run in a way they haven't run in years and while you don't necessarily know what you don't know, I think we're going to see Murphy really shine in that regard because it's, it's going to be a different game. I really feel that way. Maybe not a complete 180 with some of the new rules that are in place, but having a top tier defensive catcher is something I think in a year's time we're going to look back on and, and see even more so than before just how valuable it was.
0: I agree. And if there is a ding on, Dar- on Darno, it's been his inability to throw guys out in the past. So maybe his role being a little bit smaller uh, is not a bad thing. And I will certainly ride with Travis Darno. Uh, if nothing else, he is the best backup catcher in all of baseball. I feel even more confident about that in my previous statement. Uh, I think Darno would be the starter on 20 teams. Is that is that too high? Oh, yeah. no, <laughs> be-
1: maybe maybe 22. I mean, he's
0: really good. He's very good, and uh, I mean, he was really good last year. He's was, he was almost a four win player last year from catcher. Like, he's going to DH plenty as well, which we'll come back to at the end of the podcast in our last spot. But he was a top six catcher in baseball last season by Fangraphs War, and also a top six catcher for the last three seasons. So I might have been I might have been low there. Uh, he is 34 years old, so there's a little bit of concern about maybe some decline age related stuff that would not be a huge surprise. But in the event that Murphy is healthy and Darno. Is basically playing what 35% of the time a catcher, something like that, 30% of the time a catcher, yeah. and then also D DHing some. That's a great role for him. Uh, I think as a DH, he's probably not like an absolute, you know, lock of being awesome, but as a backup catcher, like you can't do better than that. he be he's gonna be good. Yeah.
1: And we know the Braves really value the two catcher approach. They've they've done it for basically every year since Brian McCann left, and they've been incredibly successful doing it. And we know it is a long season. I can only imagine the physical toll that catching in an Atlanta summer does to a body. So the fact the Braves have Darno and can either DH or occasionally sit Murphy all together to keep him fresh. Obviously, there's very important games on the horizon in September and hopefully deep into October. So the fact that they're going to be able to mix and match these guys, utilize the DH, I think is really going to pay dividend. Because you just don't want your catchers to be out of gas with you know a couple of weeks left in the season.
0: Those Atlanta summers are no joke. I know you don't live here, but uh, they're, no jo- they're no joke. they no where you live as well. But
1: uh... I uh, I did a day game at Truist like two years ago, and I swear it was like a hundred degrees and humid, and I wasn't playing baseball and I was drenched, Brad, like <laughs> drenched. I cannot yeah. imagine what it's like squatting for three hours with catching equipment on on the field where it's even warmer. Yeah, I I, I cannot imagine.
0: It would not be a lot of fun. But yeah, I, I think to make it simple, the catcher situation is fantastic. You know, fingers crossed on injuries and all that. And maybe they won't be the absolute best hitting duo in the league. But still, I think the baseline catcher, as I've said 100 times on this podcast in the past, is very low. And the Braves soar above it with a group that is going to be uh, really, really good this year. I guess the only question is like who the third guy is, but like Chabby Trump, hopefully you don't play a lot. <laughs>
1: Yeah, <laughs> it's all yeah I got. Want, baby. He hit like 800 last year, which was fun. Like the three games he filled in, he was he was a fun player to watch. I mean, it, there's probably a lot worse third catcher situations in the sport as well.
0: Yeah, that's uh, that's for sure. OK, to first base. Uh, this is going to be kind of boring, but not in a bad way. Matt Olsen going to be good. Uh, had kind of a quote unquote down year for him last year and was still worth three wins. at 34, 34 home runs. He is killing the ball in spring training. He is durable. Um, his batted ball profile is incredible. He's projected to be the second best first baseman in all of baseball by zips. Uh, I mean, we could talk about like what his upside might be, but as far as like projection is concerned, uh, you can't really be worried about Matt Olson. I don't think at this point he's pretty good.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Really just two thoughts on Olsen fairly quickly. You, you said he's boring and I think that's probably the highest compliment we can pay a player Uh, because he's been quite good for a handful of years now. You know, I think he's a player who is really going to be able to settle in. He's having a great spring. And you have to remember that he was acquired three weeks before opening day, traveled across country, signed the big contract, you know, moves. I I know he's from Georgia, but, you know, moving cross country, finding a house to live in. I mean, all of the, the very real things that baseball players deal with off the field. Now, I think the fact that he's going to be able to step in and not have the Freddie Freeman saga over his shoulder too, is, is going to be nice as well. Um, and then finally, the, the lack of shifting, I think is only going to help him. Now, I don't know if he's necessarily going to become a 300 hitter overnight because of, of the lack of extreme shifting, but I can't imagine it's going to hurt him in any way. And as you noted, he was good last year. I think he can be even better. And if he is even better, I don't think it would be a surprise at all.
0: No, I think I try to be realistic with projections on this podcast. But I do think that if I had to take the um, the under or the over on last year's production, I would pretty confidently take the over. And that doesn't mean he's going to be like an MVP. But he wasn't as good as I think he probably should have been by the, by the ball data last year. And also like stuff that you just talked about. I can't remember who wrote the piece that I read it was a few months ago now kind of in the aftermath of the shift uh the shift ban and all that um and Olsen was like one of the poster children basically for a guy who should improve based on the shift ban going in the place just because I, I don't want to go it's not it's very it was a very nerdy in a good way article but like his batting ball stuff plays very well and I think that uh, especially his batting average should rise I don't care about that that much but, you know, I think he's going to be a guy who gets more hits, more singles in particular, um, benefiting from the lack of a shift on the infield. That can only help him because the power is legit. And uh, again, anytime you have a guy projected to be the second best player in position in baseball by Zips, a credible system, uh, that's probably a good sign. And Matt Olson, I think, is going to have the breakout kind of season that Braves fans might. Because, you know, it's kind of the same, same with Sean Murphy. There's a segment of baseball fan and Braves fan that only watches the Braves. And I get that. Matt Olsen's a local product, which maybe helps things. went to my high school. But um, these guys who come over, if they don't light it on fire right away with the Braves, the thought is, oh, they're disappointing on some level. And I think we, we saw some of that last year with Olsen, even though, he, again, he was good last year. He just wasn't incredible. And I think it might be a return to like, oh, that's why they traded for this guy this year from a lot of Braves fans.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And again, you know, just to to put a bow, I think Matt did a just a terrific job last year, handling all of the drama around yeah. Freddie Freeman. He said all of the right things, one about his business. I mean, he's a really good player too. It, it, he could have been like, guys, Freddie's gone. I'm Matt Olson. Let's let's talk about me for a change. And he never did that. I mean, he, by all accounts, a, a professional on and off the field, which I think deserves a lot of credit. And I agree completely. If, if you're telling me that if I had to take the over or under on what he did last year, I would take the over pretty confidently.
0: Yep. Yeah, we're on the same page there and uh, get your Matt Olsen sleeper MVP balance in now, if you want to get a little crazy at the top of the season. Um, another guy who I have always been very high on um, Ozzy Albies is back and healthy. Last year played very sparingly. He fractured his foot in June and then broke his finger in September played uh, actually missed about 100 games wasn't great um, even with his pretty ugly offensive numbers he was still a very, very valuable player and projects to be very good once again um, what do you make of Ozzy right now because it feels like you know he's got kind of a, a prove-it season ahead he's still pretty young but at the same time he's kind of been not the guy that he is quote-unquote supposed to be because of, mostly because of injuries the last couple of years but it uh, feels like kind of a big one for him.
1: Yeah, it does. And Ozzy has some habits now. I mean, it's crazy to think this is going to be, what, his fifth full year in the majors. I believe 2018 was his first full year. He debuted in 17. So 2018, 19, 20, 21, and 22. So this is going to be six? Holy smokes, Brad.
0: Yeah, six Um, six full year and seventh year if you include the half season he played in 2017. So yeah, he's been around for a long time now. And he, by the way, is still only 26 years old. And just turned 26, too.
1: Yeah, that's impossible. Like, that's wild. Um, Yeah, you know, Ozzy has, we all know that he's not the greatest at getting on base. He has never really walked, although he did walk a little bit more early in his career. But because he's just so well-rounded, really good defensively, so steady at second base, uh, good base runner, hits for power. He's just, his floor, I think, is really high. It's just a matter of if he can tap into some of the things that would make him an even better player, raising the on-base percentage. You know, he's always been a streaky hitter. And then, you know, you mentioned the injuries. Obviously, that's not something Ozzy can control. He's in terrific shape. The injury last year was such a freak accident. So hopefully he's able to stay on the field for 150 this year and, and put together uh, his best year in a couple.
0: Yeah, so I think, you know, Ozzie, even if you – go by the numbers he's had in the last couple of years with the injuries and all that, He still projects like zips has him for 3.6 wins. That's a really good player. Like that's still a top what six or seven second baseman in all of baseball. I think of him that way, but I think it also is fair to say if he has a year where he's merely just pretty good this year, maybe the star that I would describe him as being before he started getting banged up, maybe that guy's not going to be back anymore. I'm not, I'm not sure. I don't want to overstate it, I still feel very good about second base for the Braves. It does help that they have Arcia, who's a very competent backup second baseman. If anything happens to uh, ha- anything happens to Ozzie, might see Von Grissom there at some point. Uh, I guess Braden Schumake could play some second base since they seem to like him quite a bit. Um, anyway, but I-, I feel like it's going to be uh, a year where I probably pick Ozzie to do a lot of good things, like I kind of always do, and hopefully he stays healthy and does those things because. It would be good to have a reminder for some people that maybe have sour on him that he uh, when he is healthy and when he is right he is exceptional.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think you just took the words out of my mouth. He could absolutely reemerge and establish himself as a top top player at the position, and and then finally, you know, the contract is so team friendly. I think even now that we're a few years in, I think he's making seven million dollars. Now you need those kind of players on championship rosters. Obviously, he's a World Series champion. He, I'm sure he would like to be one once again in 2023. Um, so, yeah, no no complaints or worries at all about Ozzy. I think it's just we would like to see him get back to maybe the levels he was at before this kind of bad run of injuries.
0: Yeah, and uh, I will not do the rant about this, but it feels like every single offseason we get a top 10 second baseman list without Ozzie on it. And I always want to lose my mind. Yeah. It's like there is no, there's no, there's no justification for a top 10 list of second base that doesn't have Ozzie on it. on it. Maybe yeah. it will after this year. If he hasn't done here this year, I wouldn't be so crazy about that. But uh, there's just he's been really good for, like we talked about, five, six years. So I
1: swear it's because the Braves are in like the top five at a half dozen other positions, and they probably just want to show some love to other teams. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, I I do agree. I mean, MLB Network has some of the worst lists I've <laughs> ever seen. <laughs>
0: show, show us to those guys. Okay. Uh, the next one is, I would argue the most boring and again, not in a bad way discussion. And that is Austin Riley. Austin Riley has been incredibly good the last two years. He's hit 71 home runs. Everyone knows the bat is legit. It's uh you know, last two years, basically just mashing. The power is monstrous. He had the ridiculous month last year in July where he was basically Hank Aaron for a month. Um, Defensively, I guess, is the controversial part. Like, it kind of varies whether you think he is bad or okay. And I don't really care for, for this conversation's purposes. But even projection-wise, like, it's like, okay, Austin Riley projected for 35 home runs and 140 WRC+. Plus, and, like, I think we've kind of just figured out Austin Riley is going to be that. It might, it might it might be a little bit streaky month to month. But season to season, the last two years, he's been basically the same guy. And it's been a top five baseman in baseball who just mashes.
1: Yeah, and just so... Just such a good, complete hitter, right? Has power. I think one area he's really improved is getting on base and working the count and just has a full command of the strike zone. We know early on in his career, there were obvious ways to attack him. And I think there's no easy outs with Austin Riley. You know, sure, the timing of the giant contract last year at the end of July when he was the player of the month and a legit MVP candidate, you know, is August, September, and then the playoffs were not the greatest. Um, they weren't bad. I mean, it was above average, but obviously when you give a guy the biggest contract in franchise history, you know, it is a little bit of a downer for him to to finish the, the year the way he did, but no concerns at all about Austin. He's going to be 26 years old, very much the prime of players like his prototype and uh, last year he was on the the outside of the MVP voting. But if you tell me in seven months that he's right there in the mix, then I would absolutely believe it.
0: Yeah, I do think we'll save most of this for when we're having a different discussion. But I think his defensive numbers are always going to hurt him in MVP to the point where he probably has to be like so clearly the best hitter in the National League to win. But at the same time, like who cares, <laughs> broadly speaking, like he's really good. Uh, we kind of all agree on that. I was too low on him years ago. That's there's no question about that. And I think I've just kind of bought into this is what he is. And this is a a very, very good player. A five, one guy each and every year who's going to, who's going to mash and he's going to be healthy and, uh, we'll see. But other than that, I think, again, I think he's the most boring guy on the roster and that is a big compliment because, you know, Olson at least has, you know, it's year two in a new place. We'll get to Ronald Acuna in a second where he has a bounce back and all that stuff. Austin Riley has been the same guy the last two years. And it's kind of just like a very good player that no one should be worried about.
1: Yeah. No worries at all. Just, I mean, his development's crazy. I'm similar in your boat. I was never the biggest believer in Austin coming up, uh, but to his credit, he's done a phenomenal job getting his body into better shape. And again, just the improvements he's made offensively in particular, and even defensively. I know we, we talked about the projection models or the, the, you know, fielding metrics are a little funny on him, but there was a point where he was maybe in double A and there was a real question if he was going to have to move to first base or maybe be a D.H. type of guy. And maybe he's not a gold glover at third, but he is certainly playable over there. We'll say that.
0: Yeah, he's been totally, totally solid there. And obviously, uh, kind of there's a range of what people think about him. But in the end, he is still a highly productive player that uh, is a, a nice, strong piece of the middle of the order for this roster. Um, we'll go to the outfield now. Uh, it's kind of a situation where they have these two stars. Yes, I'm including Michael Harrison in, star, in the star category. And then they have this, this mess in left field. So Ronald Acuna, uh, we all know what the upside is. And the upside is basically best player in baseball, or at least close to it. Um, but last year, a down year for him. He was still obviously productive, but not the same guy across the board. He's now 25. He is seemingly fully healthy. Uh, and I wonder what you are thinking on him, because he was a, he's was he been a very trendy MVP pick. And not just, not just in Atlanta. I've seen a lot of national outlets kind of calling their shot on Ronnie this year. Are you in that kind of category where you're believing he's going to have like the full on bounce back or are you a little bit more concerned until we actually see it?
1: Yeah. You know, with Ronald, I think it's just a matter of if he is all the way back with his health and it sure seems that way Uh, before the uh, world baseball classic today with Venezuela They talked about his batting practice and they said he was just launching balls to the second and third decks in Marlins Park, you know, places that only a couple of people on the planet can hit a baseball to. And then he's playing center field, which is really encouraging as well. Uh, With Ronald, I'm most curious, and I think this is going to be uh, kind of a telltale sign of where he is at. You know, his batted ball data last year was not very good. You look at his numbers, they were down across the board. And when I say they were down, you know, his ground ball rate was 13% higher than what it was before the injury. It was at 48%. So half of the balls Ronald was putting in play were on the ground. Now that that's not ideal for a player like him. Um, you know he had his uh, fly ball rate was down, his line drive rate was down. Even things like his infield fly ball was almost double. And I mean, an infield fly ball is basically a strikeout because there's a ninety nine percent chance that it's going to be an out, right? So I think Ronald, we know just how hard he hits the ball, and when he is healthy, for my money, there's not five better players on the planet. Now, by all accounts, this spring, everything is going well. He seems to be you know, 18 months removed from the surgery now, so we should be back to pretty close to normal. But I do want to see Ronald elevate the ball. That was something he did so well early in his career, and I think if the knee is back, we're going to see it. Um, but it is, a, I guess, somewhat of a question mark until we see just what kind of production he's able to give.
0: Yeah, it's a good uh, breakdown of what it's looking like because, you know, I go through this too. It's like, okay, Ronald Acuna could be Ron Acuna. And that, if I, I think that's probably going to happen, but it's not a lock that he's just the same guy he was before the injury. Although he was on MVP level pace that season. Um, Zips projects him to be the sixth best outfielder in baseball behind five incredible players, Aaron Judge, Juan Soto, Julio Rodriguez, Mookie Betts and Mike Trout. Not a bad category to be in for a guy who just had a kind of a down season. So uh, I don't worry about Ronnie at all. We might have some predictions before opening day on this podcast, but it wouldn't surprise me if you won the MVP this year. It wouldn't surprise me if he was just, you know, a shade below that. He's an excellent player. We all know that. And I think he's looked to the part of what he's supposed to be in the spring, which is nice to see after a down year for him. Um, the other guy who's a star in the outfield is Michael Harris, who really did. I know we talked about it a lot, but it's just worth emphasizing. He was ridiculous last season, like an unbelievable debut. He came up. Not out of nowhere, we all knew he was going to be a great prospect, but he came up earlier than expected and was essentially a star from moment one. He was a five-one player in 118 games. The glove was great, the bat was great. There are some questions about like him walking, I guess, um, in particular. But I mean, what are you going to do? Like, he's 22 years old. He's already locked up long term. Michael Harris, um, he's not as safe as the other guys because he's only done it for one season. But given like his tool set, it's hard to believe that he'll be anything but really good.
1: Yeah, I mean, just just the glove in center field and his speed give him like a three-war baseline, which is crazy because for a lot of players, a three-war season is like awesome. Like so many players never even come close to recording that kind of a year. And I think with Harris and his skill set, I mean, he's just going to be so valuable. There are questions, I think fair questions, about his game at the plate Um, And you don't want to be too nitpicky because, as you noted, 21 years old, rookie of the year, 136 WRC plus, came up one home run short of being a 2020 player, Uh, but he he only walked in 4.8% of his at-bats last year and struck out 24% of the time, which isn't alarming, but you probably don't want it to go any higher than that. And in terms of his batted, uh, his BABIP and his batting average on balls in play, it was 361. And for maybe those not as familiar, 300 is average. I mean, guys who are really fast might be able to carry a, a 310 or even 320 BABIP just because of their speed and their approach at the plate. But it's fair to say that in terms of just the pure luck of when he hits the ball, it's going to regress a little bit. But how do you counter that in terms of just being an overall better hitter? You walk a little bit more, you work the count, and ideally you elevate the ball, hit more line drives, hit for more power. You know, I think these are all things that Michael Harris can do, but there are a couple of things that I'm I'm very much going to keep an eye on this year, and I think most folks will too, is if he can take that next step. Because if he does take the next step, I mean, we talked about Matt Olson being like a dark horse MVP. Acuna, Riley, like all of these guys could be, you know, if Michael Harris goes out and hits 25 home runs and steals 30 bases and wins a gold glove, like, I mean, that sounds like an MVP candidate to me.
0: Yeah. I I think honestly, unlike Riley and maybe even Olsen, you know, a lot of times the guys who win MVP have the, the boosting characteristics on the non-hitting stuff, which means, you know, the glove. And like stolen base counts and that, that kind of stuff is what Harris can do. And I'm not sure, like you kind of la- outlined, we, we aren't sure how good of a hitter Michael Harris is. We obviously know what he did last year. Those numbers don't, you know, they, they, don't, they don't get pulled off the board. But in terms of moving forward, there is a little bit of uncertainty of just like whether he's a good hitter or a great hitter. I do have that question. But the glove, I don't worry about at all. That's, I think it's a lead already. The legs are great. He's 22 years old premium position, all that stuff. So it gives you a really high floor, even for a guy who has not played a lot of baseball in the major leagues. And uh, you know, like like you kind of laid out beautifully there, I think that really the swing is just if he is the hitter he was last year or if he's a guy that's more above average versus great. And that again, if he, if he ends up being just an above average hitter with all the all the other stuff, he's still an excellent all-star level player. If he's a great hitter, like he was last year in terms of the production, then he's like a top 10 player in baseball kind of level guy, which I think is obviously extremely high praise. But if you go game for game last year, if he played a full season, he would have been in the top 10, 12, 15 in baseball among, among players in Fangraphs war. And like, you can't fake that. Like you have to be really, really good to do that over, over a full season. And he was on the way there if he had played enough. So uh, yeah. Is he going to walk? Is about going to normalize, etc. but the legs help. And I think the power coming kind of being really uh, above where I thought it might be last year was nice to see as well. So Man, he's a uh, easy to get, to get excited about, and again, sign a long term and make it even more make it even more fun for Braves fans to know he's going to be around for a long time.
1: Yeah, and, you know, I would just say you know his approach is just so advanced for being 21 years old and taking the baseball world by storm. You know, the old adage of of you would never know if Michael is in the middle of an O for 20 skid or a 15 for 20 heater. I mean, every day he was the same guy didn't get too high, didn't get too low. I mean, I think that just his makeup was just really what impressed me as well. A very talented player, but the fact that you didn't have to worry about, you know, him putting in the work this off season, he's having a really nice spring and, and, you know, by all accounts, he's, I would assume he's going to bat second. I don't know. Second, maybe sixth. I would probably drop him a little bit against lefties, right? Maybe they swap Aussie Albies and, whenever there's a lefty in there because of his splits. But I guess that's another area that Michael Harris can improve. He was not very good against left-handed pitching last year. Uh, But again, we really are just nitpicking because this, I mean, the dude is just so talented. Um, And as I'm watching, just complete side tangent here, I hope (laughs) listeners were able to watch the WBC game between the U.S. and uh, Venezuela. It's like one of the best baseball games I think I've watched in years. And uh, Ron DeCunha just hit a line drive double. So that's always good to see.
0: Well done for our live updates here. Um am sure I'll listen to this podcast later, but that's okay. We enjoy uh, live this, baseball updates.
1: This really has been like a magical sports. You have the WBC, which has been awesome. You have March Madness, which with the exception of one game has been a lot of fun. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, full-on spring training. I don't want to talk about it, Brad. I will I will disconnect this call. So Scott,
0: no. I, I, out of respect for you, I have not brought it up yet. A lot of times I would have brought it up earlier in the podcast about your, uh, in particular, that game you referencing about March Madness. I'll just say for the listener, I won't go into any more detail, but if you're a new listener to the podcast, Scott is an alum and a fan of the University of Arizona. So I'll just leave it there for now. Yeah. Tough go. Okay. Uh, move, <laughs> moving right along. Anyway, yeah. um, Okay. let's go, Let's go to left field. Obviously, we've discussed left field a lot in the last few months. Kind of like shortstop. Um, But Eddie Rosario has shown some stuff in in the WBC in particular that is good to see. Um, There was not a lot he was going to be able to do to erase any any doubt that I might have about Eddie this coming into the season. But he could make me feel better. And I think he has to this point. And then after Eddie, we get into the mix of, I'm just going to name the players on the roster. It is Jordan Luplo. It is Kevin Pilar. It's Eli White it's Sam Hilliard, and then it is also Marcelo Ozuna. So it's basically Rosario, then those five guys, including Ozuna, maybe like a, a sneaky candidacy for Vaughn Grissom if they go with Schumaker at shortstop, but that, would, that wouldn't be anytime soon, I don't think. Um, they're They're definitely hoping, it seems, that Rosario is at least a playable starter in left field. Because if he's not, it gets really, really interesting, and there are a bunch of names, and none of them are terribly sexy.
1: Yeah, you know it is encouraging that after last year, where I mean, again, man, the first like two or three weeks, those numbers you can completely toss out for Eddie Rosario. Like he literally could not see the baseball. Yeah,
0: he could. He couldn't see. For those of you who may not remember remember this, uh, Eddie had a legitimate eye problem where he he pretty much admitted he couldn't see. And that's if you are a baseball player in general, that's bad. If you're trying to hit major league pitching, that would be impossible.
1: Well, and there was that night where there was like a fly ball that he was tracking and he just lost it. And I know guys lose the ball in the lights every now and then, but it was just like, it almost should have been more apparent, I think, to, to like us that he clearly was not right before they ultimately said, yeah, he has an eye problem and he had surgery and all of that. And then even after the surgery, he was not very good, but I will say, and sadly, I have never done this myself, but- I can only imagine how difficult it is to miss two or three months of a Major League Baseball season and then try to come back in the middle of the year when everybody else is going 100 miles an hour. And the only real ramp up time you've had is a handful of games in AAA. Uh, So Eddie, of course, he has been around the block. He has a history of being a pretty good hitter. And if he can just Give the Braves a steadying influence in left field. Um, you know, maybe they try to platoon him a little bit against left-handed pitching. Then that would be, I would argue, worthwhile. But the Braves don't need Eddie Rosario to be a superstar necessarily in left. I think they would just they would happily take what he has done over his career, 2022 notwithstanding, and then just you know kind of see where they're at. Right? I think they just want some steadiness out of the position.
0: Yeah, and I think no one should expect Eddie Rosario to be the playoff hero level monster that he was. But just to like kind of build up what you said about just taking what he was what he's been long term, essentially from twenty fifteen until twenty twenty-one, Eddie Rosario was a slightly above average hitter with some defensive concerns, but was essentially like a you know, a starting level left fielder. Now not a great player by any means. But someone who you could put out there against righties in particular and not worry about, a little little bit of pop in his bat. He would, uh, you know, again, WRC plus is between like the high 90s and the 115 range, just like literally an average big league starting corner outfielder. And that they would love that. Even if he's a little bit worse than that, they would probably take it at this point, given the strength everywhere else in the lineup given what he was last year, but you know, wh- wh- I'm glad you said this as well. He was not very good. Even after he came back, he was better, but not very good. And they all know that they all kind of, I think the, the way that they loaded up on non-roster guys and minor contract guys and non-guarantee guys was an indication that they know Rosario was not a lock to be good this year. They added so many guys. They brought in so many guys who have experience, Kevin Pilar is a real name. Jordan Luplo is a real name. Eli White and Sam Hillard are interesting enough. So, you know, it's interesting to see what they're going to do. I think that they're going to give Rosario a chance, especially now that he's shown a little bit in the spring. I think he's going to start opening day and at least against right-handed pitching and we'll see how long that lasts and how he performs. That's kind of a simple explanation. I was worried that if he was terrible in the spring, they might still give him the chance to play. Um, That is less of a concern to me now, but does that sound right to you? It's sort of of a bridge out of this. Like it feels like Eddie's going to start against righties at the bare minimum for a while. And then we'll kind of see how he performs.
1: Yeah, I think that sounds right. And, you know, you mentioned they brought in a couple of guys who have been around for a bit, you know, Kevin Pillar has been a solid major league baseball player for a handful of years now. And last year he was crushing the minor leagues in triple a came up with the Dodgers, had a couple of good games, and then blew out his shoulder, missed the rest of the year. But I I guess I would just say, for as much uncertainty as around the position, the spring has gone about as well as we could have hoped for, I think. Like if Rosario was hitting 92 to 30 plate appearances this spring, it's like, oh man, like I'm sure Alex Anthopoulos would be working the phones trying to get anybody else in there. But if you're telling me they're going to go in, I would assume my guess will be a a platoon of sorts with Rosario and Pilar and left field. Yeah, that that sounds OK to me. Let's hope that the, the spring is a sign of things to come for Rosario, because as you outlined, he's been a, a perfectly fine outfielder for a good chunk of his career. And if you're telling me they're going to get that kind of production, even just average left field production in the eighth spot, considering what's going to be ahead of them, I think you take it.
0: Yeah, I would agree with all of that. All right. And lastly, the DH spot. So this is interesting because there's been a lot of discussion about Marcelo Azuna. We'll talk about now, of course, but in addition to Marcelo Azuna, they do have um, the aforementioned catchers to use if they would like to at the DH spot frequently. I think that's probably going to happen at times this year. Ozuna has been fine in the spring. Not great, but fine. Um, And as we said a number of times before we have returning listeners for the first time in a while, um, I don't even think it's like, this is going to be something we talk about a lot. Ozuna had the off field stuff, but even if you did not ever talk about that, which I don't think is the way I would approach things, but even if you just threw it out the window, he's been a bad player the last two years, just bad on the field. And that's part of the calculus here. They seem to be eager to carry him this year. Zip still likes him as like a league average hitter or so, but it feels to me and you can jump in now. It's either going to be a lot of Ozuna or it's going to be a lot of the backup catcher and then they'll fill in around the margins. Does that make sense?
1: Yes, it does. And if I had to guess, I would, I mean, I just don't see a ton of Ozuna playing. It it does seem like he's going to be on the roster, but even if they want to give Darno and Murphy more time off than I think we're anticipating or projecting, you know, you're you're telling me that Travis Darno is going to be like a full time backup catcher because they want to
0: give Marcel at bats at DH. <laughs> so okay, this is a, it's, it's, it's a great point. I just want to I, I think it's more of a fear that I have that they want maybe once and for all to give Marcel let's say a month, let's say a month and a half to just be like, okay, Marcel, we're going to play you four times a week at DH and give you a chance one last time to hit. I'm not saying they're going to do that, but that would not surprise me. Mostly because of the contract. Look, I think we all kind of know if he wasn't making the, the money he's making, he wouldn't be on the team. At least I, I'm, I strongly suspect, I shouldn't say we know, I strongly suspect he would not be on the team. But he is making that money beyond this year. And I, I, it, all the comments just feel like they don't want to give up on him, and maybe it's because they because they can't. But it's really an interesting trade-off because also Snit, uh, you know, does not always like to use his backup catcher. And I know the DH makes it different now, but he does have an aversion for a long time to using his second catcher to do really anything when he's not catching. And I think he's probably he got over that a little bit last year with with Contreras, but that was more of like out of necessity. I still think that if Stint has his autonomy, he is not going to be on board with DHing Murphy or Darno every day. I just don't think it's going to happen. Maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like there's a there's a sweet middle where it's like okay, maybe they'll maybe the plan coming out of the gate is going to be Ozuna four times a week and then Darno or Murphy the other two or three times a week. And maybe I'm wrong, and also maybe it's like Sam Hilliard. I have no idea what they're going to do. But it's it, it's like, it's kind of that rotating spot where, like, yeah, it does make sense to use the catcher there, but not, not to pour cold water on this too much. Travis Darno as a DH, isn't a special player. You know what I mean? Like, he's he's probably average, maybe even below average, as a DH. Awesome catcher. But you know what I mean? Like, it's not like he's going to change your life at DH either.
1: Yeah, no, that's fair. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, I think what you said about really giving Marcel – you know, one final opportunity, if you will. I think that's probably valid. I imagine he's going to get at least a handful of starts early in the year. Now, am I confident that after two horrible years <laughs> at age 33, he's going to suddenly have the fountain of youth and turn into the player he was earlier in his career? I'm I'm not betting on that. I I think it is possible where he has a good year offensively and ends up being you know the primary DH maybe five days a week. But I also think there's a world where after a couple of months the Braves are just done. Like if, yep. if he's not hitting, we know he he can't play defense. I mean they may throw him in left field every now and then against like a really tough lefty or maybe if if Pilar just isn't hitting or whoever the other outfielder is and they don't want to put Rosario out there. You know, maybe he goes in left field and then they sub him out in like the eighth inning. But I think at this point, the defense is a lost cause. I would rather not run that risk. And unless he's just mashing, I don't think it's worth the trade off. I'd rather just put like Sam Hilliard out there and not run the risk of a defensive nightmare. Um, but right. hey, I mean, if, if Marcelo Zuna wants to turn his career around and have a really nice season, then the Braves are going to be much better for it but I think we have fairly outlined take away all of the other stuff with him. He he just hasn't been a good hitter for two years now. And the last time he was a good hitter was 2020 in the 60-game COVID year. Um, so really, it's, it, we're talking 2019 was the last time he had a good full season.
0: To be very clear, I am not advocating for playing Marcelo Zuna. I would not play Marcelo Zuna. I do think, though, there is a world where um, you know, throw 2020 out. He was awesome that year. Um, That's just undeniably the case. But I think his absolute ceiling, in my mind, is what he was his last year in St. Louis, where he had a 110 WRC plus with bad defense. He hit 29 home runs playing every day. I think if they played him every single day, he would probably hit 25 home runs. Because last year he hit 23 home runs in 124 games. but he was so bad at everything else that it almost didn't matter. So I think, honestly, when your upside is league average hitter with some pop at DH every day, who's a terrible fielder, that's not a good player. But he's obviously famous and has a large contract. Um, I agree with you about left field. I really hope they're not playing in the left field. Really, ever. Because I don't see the justification for that. Because, look, if he's hitting enough to DH, he should he should just DH. You know what I mean? I guess the the optimistic scenario potentially would be that you look up in June and Marcel is hitting so well that against the lefty, maybe you're better off with him and left and, and Darno or Murphy at DH to round your lineup out. But that's a problem that you, uh, I say problem that'd be as a result that you can't project now. And you can probably just for later on, I think more realistically, the hope internally is what, that he's a lead average hitter. This year, that's like Wait. the absolute nice case for it
1: Yeah, probably And let me ask you this Brad Because I know you're a betting man um, End of the year, who leads the Braves in starts at DH Oh man um, Is it Ozuna Is it
0: I Travis Darno? Yeah, Is it- I, I think it's going to be Okay So Saturday, March 18th I think I would probably Pick Travis Darno. But not by a lot. I think it's going to be fairly evenly split between Darno, Ozuna, and another guy or two. You know what I mean? Like, they'll, they'll be Knights. Yeah. If, if they end up carrying, I don't mean to demean Sam Hilliard. He's just the DH profile guy they have. Um, but it could be Eli White, whoever you want to say it is. The extra guy they end up carrying at times. Um, could be that they rotate it, like if, for instance, you get a guy that's banged up at some point. Last year it was Ronnie on occasion. Maybe they want to give some more days off for Austin or for Matt Olson. But, yeah, I think it's – you probably can't pick anyone other than Darno or Ozuna right now. So I, I'll lean Darno just because I think it's more likely than not that Ozuna plays himself out of it because he's been so bad last – I mean, really, I don't want to give all the numbers, but – Just believe me when when I tell you that he has been one of the worst players in baseball the last two years. Now, that factors in defense, too. He probably isn't that bad of a hitter, but he's been a strongly below average hitter, too. So that's a lot. It's not not a small sample size, it's 700, 700, 700 plate appearances. So yeah, 2021 was a small sample for one season. But this last year, he had 507 plate appearances with an 88 WRC plus and a 274 on base percentage.
1: Yeah, it's not it's not going to cut it.
0: I mean, no, even not, if- that, that, that's unplayable because his defense is terrible. So like at DH, that player is awful yes. because the, because the baseline at DH is pretty high at the plate in left field. He's even worse because he's so bad on defense. So like he yeah. has to hit enough. I, don't, I Again, I think his 2019 or 2018 St. Louis level is like what he has to do to justify playing like he's got to be a league average hitter to justify even playing with DH.
1: Yeah, I I would agree. And again, I guess to kind of wrap up the DH discussion, and really almost circling back to the catcher thing too. No, I am curious to see what the breakdown is for the Braves. They they really do value Travis Darno behind the plate, so maybe it's not going to be quite as dramatic of a split as what we're expecting. And you know, Sean Murphy could DH as well. I mean, they, they and then there's always the opportunity is with a DH if if a guy's a little banged up, maybe not so banged up that he can't play that night, but you don't want him in the, in the field for nine innings. You know, if Matt Olson needs a breather, maybe you have Matt Olson at DH or Austin Riley, or, you know, even just giving guys a little bit of a break, right? Like give Michael Harris a night off here and there, give Acuna a night off. You still get their bat in the lineup, but then you don't have to worry about the defense. Um, Yeah. I I don't know. It's a very, it is again, one of the, true questions with this roster and I have kind of a a sense deep down that it's one that's going to be answered on its own fairly quickly right like I think we're either going to know maybe a month into the year whether or not Ozuna has anything left and you know we're going to know just obviously based on the lineup um, how the Braves feel internally about it in those early weeks as well I do think you're on to something that they might give Marcel one last chance if you will to show that he can still be a productive big leaguer. Uh, but I guess the good the good side of all of this is is that if they they opt to use Ozuna as the primary DH early on and it's just not working out, you do have Travis Darno as your presumably then everyday or close to everyday DH and you can do worse to be sure.
0: Yeah, and we'll, we'll wrap it there as well. I just want to make sure we everybody understands. I, I, I know what I've said and what you've said. We, we're using Darno as the DH for the catcher spot because he's the worst defender of him and Murphy. But obviously, if that were the plan, Murphy is also going to DH some. He'll DH less than Darno, but like you know, if you just look at it the way if they, if it became a situation where they were going to lean on both those guys playing effectively every day, you're still going to have twice a week. Three times a week where Murphy DHs and Darno catches, because that's the whole point is to keep those guys fresh. What you can't do is have your guy catch every day. Um, but like, and, and let's just say game one of a World Series, it would be Murphy catching and Darno DHing. But clearly, that would be, it, it would also be reversed at times. I just want to make sure we understand that. So,
1: yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Flexibility, um, never a bad thing.
0: Definitely. Um, all right, Scott. Well, we've done a lot on the on the uh, rotation first. I'm uh, sorry, the bullpen first, then rotation, and then now the lineup. Uh, we talked about it before, but just to say it one more time, this is going to be an awesome group. Lots of stars, lots of upside. Still some questions, as there are on any baseball team, but a lot to be excited about. Um, we're going to save our predictions and all that stuff for our last podcast before opening day actually arrives. But Scott, if you have anything else to add, feel free. And if not, please tell people where they can find your work because it is, of course, invaluable, even when you are floundering mentally about Arizona Wildcats.
1: March Madness will get the best of anybody. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) What a great, stupid sport. Um, No, thank you, everybody, for for checking us out. We're looking forward to having some very real baseball to talk about here soon. Be sure to check out the site, batterypower.com. Uh, The team previews are ongoing. Of course, any news and notes, I have a feeling that the next seven or eight days are going to be very busy for the Braves as they trim down their roster quite a bit and get ready for opening day as we sit off the top, we're I believe 11 days away, as most folks will listen to this from opening day in Washington, D.C., which is very exciting. Uh, I'm at scottcoleman55 on Twitter. If you want to read my March Madness ramblings and uh, occasional Braves takes, I've been known to have those. Um, and yeah, Brad, we'll be back next week. Should be fun.
0: It definitely should be. Please subscribe to this podcast network. In addition to us, you also get The Daily Hammer with Sean Coleman, as well as the podcast to be named later with Chris Wallace and Stephen Tolbert, which again, Scott was on this week, a fun conversation there. Uh, Rate and review the show across podcast platforms, download it, auto download it, click around. It definitely helps uh, to support the podcast to have all of those, uh, all that traffic given to us. Also, make sure to read the site every day batterypower.com. And we'll be very busy in the coming days. Stay tuned for our widespread coverage. And as a reminder, if you're just getting back with us now, we're here all the entire offseason as well. So, uh, wall-to-wall coverage about the Atlanta Braves on this podcast network, and also on the site. Thank you, as always, for listening. And we'll see you all next time.